Good morning, folks. Maybe we can get a quick signal from those on Zoom as to if it's all good. Hopefully somebody sees them and says, yep, it's all good. Is it good? I'm looking at the back. So far, so good? Yes? All right. Good. So we are going to be speaking today to fathers. We are going to be talking about fathers, and we are going to be talking about our Father in heaven. It is Father's Day, after all. The title of our message is Order of Command, or Chain of Command, and I'm sure it has caused a certain amount of curiosity as to, okay, what is this going to be all about? Father's Day creates a wide range of emotions. For some of us, our fathers passed away a long time ago. For some of us, we are thankful for our fathers. They did well. They did the best that they could. They're now we are very confident they are with the Lord, and we have a sense of pride, appreciation, love, and respect. I'm one of those. I had an awesome father. Born and raised in Verdun, the son of a taxi driver, moved every July 1st, left behind one roll of toilet paper and one light bulb, and that's my heritage on my father's side. And he came to know the Lord as his Savior um, through an outreach Sunday school uh, and uh, went on to follow the Lord for his life. He passed away at an early age, at age 49. Um, but uh, for me, it's, it's all good. It's happy memories. Um, maybe one or two times when it was my brother's fault and I got in trouble, but that's okay. That's for others, it is not so much. There's lots of hurt. In some cases, there is abandonment. In some cases, there is just absentee fatherism. In some cases, there is a lot of hurt through abuse. There's lots and lots of different emotions that come to bear. And I recognize as I speak to our whole church family today that this day is different for different people. We do know that we have a Heavenly Father, and our Heavenly Father loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. We know that he does not abandon us. We know that he is all-wise, that he is all-loving, that what he does is always for our own good. And so you and I, who know Jesus as our Savior, we have a Heavenly Father who is the best. He is the best father. For the fathers here with us, we know that this is a high calling. We know that we fail a lot. And if in any way our kids turn out well, it is only by the grace of God. Numerous studies have been done that show the pain and the loss that is, that is experienced by those that have not, not had good father figures in their lives. 
And so we know that this is so important. For some of us, we've had a very rewarding experience as dads. Our kids love us, they chat with us, and um, in my particular case, um, as many of you know, Katie and I have a whack of foster and adopted kids. Um, sometimes we actually, in a little way, wish they weren't so close, because sometimes it's hard to just have a moment of peace. But we are very thankful. We are very thankful for the big, loving, happy family that we have. And others of you, it is not so much. And I feel for you. It is different, and God has a different journey for each of us. For some of us, our spousal relationship works well, and we truly parent together. And that is an awesome thing when that works and when that happens. For others, again, not so much. Some of you, I know as I look out today and I know as I saw the faces on Zoom, for some there are broken marriages, broken relationships with kids, guilty feelings of shame and failure. And in many cases, we fear that we're going to be judged by our peers for something not being right in that. It's a painful reminder today when the phone doesn't ring, when the texts don't come. But today I'm going to speak to all of us who are fathers, and I'm going to ask the rest of you to kind of listen in. And I think it actually applies to each of you. Because, after all, we've all had fathers, even if some of them we've never met. Many of you are fathers right now trying to be a great dad. Many of you are married to the father of your children, and he's trying to be a good dad. And you get to see every day when he succeeds and when he screws up. Some of you are single moms, and you're raising the fathers of your grandchildren without a father figure in the family. So I'm speaking to us as dads. I want to go, first of all, to an amazing, one of my, just a passage of scripture that I just love. And this is a man passage of scripture. Okay, this is for men. So I know women read the Bible too, but this one is for men. I want to just read it in a man way. From 1 Samuel 17, verse 41. Goliath walked out to David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. This is 1 Samuel 17. I start at verse 41. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I will give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. 
The stones sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Israelites saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistine, chasing them, the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath. The gates of Ekron, the bodies of the dead and the wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. David took the Philistine's head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent. As Saul watched David go out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this young man? I really don't know, Abner declared. We'll find out who he is, the king told him. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Tell me about your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse, and we live in Bethlehem. Isn't that an awesome story? But the size of Goliath, that head must have weighed somewhere between 20 and 50 pounds. Pretty awesome, eh? You know, there's these apps you can get that if you're watching a movie and you're doing it like at home with kids or whatever, and you know it, it deletes stuff or it just eliminates stuff if you say like no violence, no whatever, these kinds of things, right? Can you imagine what would have been deleted in this story? It's, it's violent, it's gory, there's death, there's swords, there's blood, there's bad language, there's all this that's in here. And yet, for most of us as men, we like a story like this. We like the conquer, we like the victory, we like the, the, just the wow of this kind of story. David had incredible skill, he had incredible confidence. He was bold for God, he was successful. It was bloody, it was gory, and somebody died. It was a great story. However, there was also a king in this story who was out of touch. There was a commander of the army. It's one of the funniest verses in the Bible when the captain of the army, this is two armies battling it out. They're dependent on one guy on each side to win this battle, and they're all going to lose or win depending on who. And the captain of the army is asked by the king, so who is that guy representing us out there? And the captain of the army says, haven't got a clue. That is being out of touch. As dads, in the battle for our families, in the battle for everything that we are up against in this life, we need skill. We need a confidence in God. We need boldness. We need courage. And we need to be in touch. You and I want that. We all want that. We'd love to have them singing for us. Next picture, next picture. There you go. We want that. What David had. Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. The women sang in Israel. I killed a lion, I killed a bear, I killed a giant, I can kill them all. But in real life, 
our personal experiences are not quite so much like that. And if you went on to follow the story of David, he actually didn't do so great as a dad in many of the situations. And you find himself in other, more complex, gut-wrenching situations where there is no easy victory. There is no easy win. You see him in the story with his son Absalom, and you see the heartbreak of a father. And you see that there, that's not a fun story to read. And that's not a story that goes, wow, great, there's victory and there's triumph and there's ever. It's a tough story. The call to being a father is a call to some tough stuff too. It's not all 1 Samuel 17. So let's look at the biblical recipe for fatherhood. I've come up with seven things that I think are critical to being the father that God has called us to be. Number one, fear the Lord. Number two, Jesus is my head. He is my commander. He is the one that I look to for my instructions. Three, I am to love my wife. I repeat, I am to love my wife. Always, in all circumstances, all the time. Fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You would think that would just be addressed to parents. In the wisdom of the word of God, it is specifically said to fathers. Work willingly and ethically. Hard work, working for your family, working to provide for your family is part of what is the biblical way. Fitness, working out, we'll talk about that. Choose your close friends carefully. And number eight, go back to one and two. So there's the outline of what we're going to talk about today briefly. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says in Proverbs 9 and verse 10. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear that, that scripture speaks about in fearing the Lord is one of awesome respect. It is one of a reverence, of a recognition that what God tells me in his word is not something to be negotiated, it's not something to be debated, it is something to be understood and then to be acted on. God is God, he is holy, and the fear and awesome respect for who he is is the beginning of wisdom. It says, in, it says it in Proverbs 1. It says it here again in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 9. In, cha in chapter 1, it says, The fear of the Lord is the fountain of true knowledge or the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And here it says that the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If you and I are going to be good dads, we have to know God. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. As we get to know our Heavenly Father better, it provides us with insight into how to father, in terms of in, in how to parent, in how to be a good husband. So studying, knowing, learning, 
being with others that where we can grow and learn together. This is fundamental in terms of our call to fatherhood. The next one and what I titled this message on is the chain of command. In 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 11 and verse 3, Paul says, There is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. There is much teaching in the Word of God in terms of the order and in terms of being men and being women and how that works in the family of God and how that works in the church of God, there can easily be a tendency for us as men to like the second phrase and to skip over the first phrase. The head of every man is Christ. You and I are called upon and taught clearly in the word of God as fathers to recognize the headship of Christ, to recognize that he is supreme, he is the one over our lives. There's a great uh, cut here from an um, aircraft uh, manual that basically says the chain of command is crucial for each cabin crew member. The purpose of this is to secure the safety of the aircraft and all the passengers and crew on board, as well as the efficient management of the airline operation. The pilot captain has complete control of the aircraft, and his order of command must be adhered to. Wouldn't, wouldn't you, as fathers, wouldn't we just like that to be the way it is in our home? Doesn't that just sound, I mean, that's perfect, right? We're forgetting, we're, we're, we're forgetting one thing. He's the head. That's the, that's the great challenge, my brothers. He's the head. And if you and I don't get to know the Holy One, if you and I don't get to walk with him and be in tune with him, then in our homes, we will muck up. We will make huge mistakes because we will get out of sync with the head. Over and over again, in the New Testament, we are taught the Lord Jesus is the head. You and I need to be in sync with him if we are going to be the fathers that God has called us to be. To show that order of command a little further, there's some just great verses. There's one that, um, that I've just been uh, shown recently, how much it applies to the situation. It just helps us to understand it. In Matthew 8 and 9, there, you'll remember the uh, centurion that doesn't want Jesus to even come under his roof. But he says to him, I also am a man under authority. And I say to those under me, do this and they do it, do this and they do it. He was showing a chain of command. And he was showing that he got it. And it's an amazing faith statement. It's, a, it's, it's so neat that Jesus just points this out and says, wow, this is amazing faith. Because this man recognized Jesus for who he was and so said, hey, you're, Lord, you're at the head of the command. You could just say, do this and it'll happen. You don't have to come under my roof. I'm not even worthy. Just say it and it will happen. So the Lord Jesus is our head. There's another beautiful place where this is illustrated, which is in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you see the Lord Jesus 
taking his place under God his Father. And the Lord Jesus says, If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then a second time, Jesus prayed in Matthew 26, and he says, If this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. So even the Lord Jesus understood the chain of command. He came under the order and the will of God his Father. It's so amazing. For those of us that are in leadership at RBC, let me just read a quote. I didn't actually get his permission to quote him, so I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it's not mine. It's one of us, and I got this just recently. My contention is that male leaders in the church have generally abdicated their submissive posture to the actual headship of Christ in our own lives. We have traded away responsibility as spiritual shepherds and leaders, but still want to exert earthly control. Women, by necessity, are stepping up to give their lives for their families and for the church, Allah Ephesians 5 and 25, which is in fact our role, not theirs. Again, provocatively are we willing to, say, to be stay-at-home spiritual dads and equivalently, in terms of shepherding, actually lay down our lives for the RBC body. That's some more on the chain of command. There's lots of stuff there to unpack, and it's not my purpose today to get into roles of men and women in the church, but I'm talking to us as dads, and I'm saying we got to step up and take our responsibility as what in this order of command that God has called us to. Next, husbands, love your wives. Hey, now you got to get the technology here, okay? That is a picture taken over Zoom, watching the wedding at our cottage in Muskoka. And then, isn't that awesome? That's like, yeah, that was very, very special. It's so cool just to hear, as, uh, as Uberson says, as, as you're, yep, we're going to now, Andrew and his wife Ishi are going to lead us in worship. This was just like so cool. So anyway, congratulations again, guys. And I just had to put that up there. Um, Proverbs 18, 22 says, he that finds his wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Ephesians 5 and 25, husbands, love your wives. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. The head of man is Christ. Is, it's all there. It is, there's a calling here. And if any of you are getting uh, just offended or upset or anything on this, um, really cool verse from 1 Corinthians 11 and 11. But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman. And everything comes from God. It, it sounds, it, it's almost like he's just sort of teasing you there, just sort of being like, hey, guys, just chill. Like, we're, you know, we're all independent. I mean, we're all interdependent. We, you know, this is, this is how it is. So let me also share something here. My, as I shared with you, my dad passed away when he was quite young. Mom was left with six kids. Um, three of them were still at home. And she took a verse and made it her own. And I say to the single moms here today that are maybe finding some of this hard to listen to, 
Mom took Isaiah 54 and 5, and she changed the wording it a little bit. As I heard her quote it for years, it's, she would quote it as, sorry, when I get emotional, I just think about the Maple Leafs trying to play hockey, and it just gets me back laughing. So, okay. My, my maker is my husband. She would quote this. My maker is my husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. I thought that's what the verse was. And then when you actually look it up, it's your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Just hear that. It's a good verse. And in 1 Peter 3 and 7, it says, Husbands, give honor to your wives. Treat your wives with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. There's a sweetness and a wow and an amazement when you see a young couple at the wedding like we're looking at there. But then also, there's something about a few years later. If you go to the next slide, you will see, there you go. So there's a few years later. And somehow life takes its toll, at least on the men. But it's all part of that celebration of being partners together in what God has called us to and the privilege that we get to enjoy as husband and wives. Quickly on now to children. So we have the dream that what it, you know, when you look at Chris and Marie right now and you see them with that new little baby, I forget what it is, it's either a boy or a girl, um, and they're like, yes, and they are like, oh yes, and we've got another one back here. Nash, yes, so just look at that. It looks so idyllic, and right now, Yes, 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 when they're sleeping, yes. But it's just like this is this perfect time when they're sleeping. But it changes. You know, you, you go along. You are taught as fathers to not provoke your children to anger. Can you imagine Rudy provoking Nash to anger? I, it's impossible. You couldn't possibly imagine that. It's... We have right now a 13-year-old grandson living with us. I remember when we celebrated when that little brat was born. And it was like this happy, wonderful time. Now he's this, I got attitude, he's 13, he knows I'm really at the stage. He's at the stage where his father and his grandfather know nothing. Okay, it's just, you know, it's one of those stages they go through. But, and you think, why did we celebrate when he was born? <laughs> this is part of being a father. So, the scripture says, don't provoke your children. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition. And I, I say that, that we tend to think admonition as fathers. Nurturing is a big part. It's the nurturing that actually gives you the right to the admonition. If you have not done the nurturing, you find that you have no basis. You have no, no platform on which to do the admonition. So those two go hand in hand, and we need that as dads. So these are instructions to fathers. I would suggest to you as dads, we need to recognize we need to put more effort into our families than we put into our work. And we get that messed up a lot, and we end up doing the opposite. 
and we need to pray. So you have that dream, and then you have the reality, which is in the next slide. And we'll only leave it there for a second. That's what we fear. And so we need to pray. Let's go on now to the workplace. In the workplace, we've got some interesting new challenges. As we, many of us have the work from home thing. It introduces lots of new temptations. We need to be working as if we are working for the Lord. I have a deep respect. I have had the privilege in my life. I enjoy my work. Every day when I go to work, I enjoy it. It's great. I'm, I actually don't dread Mondays. I look forward to Mondays. I like what I do. I like my job. But I know of many men, many fathers, who have worked at jobs that they do not enjoy, that does not line up with their qualifications, that is not where they get great fulfillment, and they have done that for years out of the need to provide and to provide that right role model in their families, and my hat is off to you. If you're one of those dads, my hat is off to you today. Work at it as if you are working for the Lord, it says in Colossians chapter 3, rather than for people. And we need to be showing in our lives that, in fact, we belong to Christ, that that order, we have it right, that we know who our real boss is, and we work for him. That will keep us ethical. That will keep us honest. That will mean that we're putting in our hours as we said we would put them in, whether we're working from home or whether we're at the office. And it will keep us making the right ethical choices so that our children can always be proud of us in terms of what we did and how we did it. I have no time to go through the 10 rules for fitness, but I would suggest that if you go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, I've got them here on slides. I would be happy to share them afterwards. There are, I believe, 10 rules that, the, that Paul writes to as he's writing to, second, to Timothy in this last book that he wrote, at least that we have. And he talks about us being a mentor, a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, a thinking man, a workman, a runner, a pursuer, a chooser of friends, and a servant. And there may be some more that you find in there. But these are great challenges for us as men in terms of what we need to do if we are actually going to be fit fathers doing what God has called us to do. And I suggest if we do all that, we won't have much time left for video games. All right, and the number seven is back to, it actually takes us back to our story. Wise men have always chosen their few close friends carefully. If you go back to our story, that bloody, gory story that we had at the beginning, as Davis finished talking with Saul, it says in chapter 18, just the next verse, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed that pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. There was a bond between Jonathan and David because they were both men of God. They loved the Lord. They were warriors, and they had a bond that united them. David walked with the Lord faithfully as long as Jonathan was alive. When Jonathan died, it's after that that David sinned with Bathsheba. 
You and I, as men, we need men to walk with us in our lives. We need to have those that we have a bond with that can hold us accountable and that can help us to stay on the path. We need that, brothers. And if you don't have one of them, choose one carefully. If you don't have a few, choose a few. You don't need many, but you need to have a few brothers that you walk closely with. So as I wrap, if you have a dad or a grandfather or someone who has played that role in your life, appreciate them today. Recognize it is a high calling and it's tough. Send them a text, call them, email them, reach out to them, celebrate them today. And if you're one of those dads, if you're one of those fathers, if you're a stepfather, a pseudo-stepfather, you are playing a father role in somebody's life, take it seriously. We have a huge impact on those that we father. And let's do it with the wisdom that only God can give. Thank you. Thank you to our dear wives that put up with our many failures. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for being a perfect father. Father, we thank you that you have given us all that we need through your word, through your Holy Spirit living in us to father as you would have us to. And we pray that we would fulfill that role for your glory and for the blessing of our spouses, of our children, of our grandchildren. And father, that we would just walk more in your fear and in your knowledge. We pray for your blessing on each father represented here today. And we just pray, Father, that you would bless our families today as we celebrate this. We thank you. We lift up the Lord Jesus in worship and in praise. We 